After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. everyone, it's Raghu, and I am here today with an, I got it, I say this all the time, a new friend, but in this particular case, and, and it's Nikki Walton. Nikki, welcome Thank to Mind Thank you Road. so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. So maybe I'll tell a little bit of the story. Nikki got in touch, and uh, after looking at some stuff on Love, Serve, Remember, around Ramdas and so on. Uh, it could have been retreats. And then she said, gee, I, I, what can I do to contribute? I'd like to contribute. And I, I said, okay, let's talk. And we did talk. And uh, I would say we hit it off, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That was a magical conversation. Very refreshing. And the end result was more than what I was expecting when I reached out. And the end result, everybody, is that Nikki is joining Be Here Now Network. Yes! With her I'm own so show. So uh, excited. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, no, we got into a nice comfy vibe. And, uh, but, Nikki, just say a little, uh, this is something I do talk to everybody. Whenever I talk to somebody, I find out what it is that uh, turn them on in their lives to the idea, ooh, there is a path to happiness yeah. or reality yeah. or truth, whatever, you know, I call it that thing there. Yeah. You Ineffable know, for, thing. there is exactly. a path to it, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, for me, I was young. I was like, my earliest memories were being afraid of dying or being afraid of losing my closest family members um, to the point to where I would be taken to the priest. I was raised Catholic and my mom was like, I don't know what's going on. She needs answers. I don't have them. And of course the priest didn't have many answers for me either. So by like the age of 10, I was already in the new age Al, like at the library and the bookstore trying to figure out like, who am I? Why am I here? Will I like rot in the ground? Like that doesn't, it didn't <laughs> feel right. It didn't set well with me. How old were I you? I also remember like. Nikki, look, how old were you? I was at that time somewhere between seven and 10. Oh. And I mean, every night just sitting up wide awake, terrified, just scared, a fear that I couldn't really put my finger on. And that fear comes up sometimes now that's it's noticed and then the mind tries to point and say well that's why you're afraid or you have this big project coming up but it's that same fear that was experienced at that young age so I was going to say at about that same time I would look in the mirror and I I just knew like intuitively I'm like I would move my head real slow and I'm like I'm I'm not I don't think I'm in there. Like, that's how I felt without having really read anything. Really? And then, of course, I got lost in the world of trying to fit in. And I was naturally very shy and very socially awkward. I didn't have many friends. Super, you know, book smart. So I was always, like, in class and doing well. That was, like, my identity as, like, a smart, quiet kid. And then when I got to college, I started exploring uh, Buddhism. And I read a lot of texts. But I and I was good. I was like, this is great until I got to that part that said, give up all of your worldly desires. And I'm like, wait, 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 hold on. I'm not ready for that yet. So then went back off, got lost in the world again until about 27. I launched a natural hair website. Um, I had already received my master's in counseling. So I was practicing psychotherapy. I was married, um, already had one child. And the success came very quickly. And I used to very much attribute it to my new spiritual 
reading, which was the secret. So it was kind of like the gateway drug into a deeper spirituality for me. So law of attraction, I'd been doing like affirmations, you know, mantra, and that seemed at the time to be what led to that success in the world. And it was not even a year into said success with like New York Times um, profiles and four profiles and on Dr. Oz and Steve Harvey, you know, big, big Mm. things to come from such a little project that I started in my bedroom. Um, I wasn't happy. I wasn't fulfilled. I was not content. I was the opposite of content. Mm -hmm. I had that same energy that I had when I was young, younger, and it would come up strong and... I remembered for my book I did with HarperCollins, it hit every list but the New York Times. Every list, all the major lists, and I really wanted the New York Times. Mm. And I remember being devastated. And I called my friend, Tracy Ellis Ross, and I, I'm like, you know, I don't know what's wrong with me. I've been upset for a week. I've, I've never been this down, especially over something that I know is so minor. It's so surface. It's so, this is BS. Like, what's wrong? And she reminded me that I don't do the work that I do um, for accolades. We do it to help. And if I was doing it for those reasons, that's a part of the problem. She also told me, go deeper. Whatever you're reading now, um, go deeper. Mm. And so I started looking up law of detachment instead of attraction. And because I could (laughs) tell I was super attached to the outcomes of my actions and the results that I wanted to see from them. So I started down that path, which led me to Ram Das, like one of the first books that I purchased after my foray with Law of Attraction was Be Here Now and Polishing the Mirror and Be Love Now. And then of course, you know, like Eckhart Tolle and, you know, teachers like that. And it was almost just like, because I have a very busy and active mind, I need to triangulate things. So I read, you know, the beautiful works of Ram Das, but then I'd read Eckhart and then I'd read, you know, other teachers. And I'm just like, oh, well, they call the I am presence. And it's, you know, called this and this other teaching. But I started feeling it more fully, having that experience myself. And that is what changed everything. And so after reading a million books and meditating every day for hours, hours every day, meditating, looking, seeking it was finally seen. I'm like, Oh, I'm watching the meditator. I'm watching the act of meditation. So that shift from being Nikki sitting, trying (laughs) to, you know, (laughs) silence the mind. And all of a sudden it was seen no matter what Nikki does or doesn't do what her mind is doing or not doing what that body is doing or not doing, even if that body is like just balled up crying, like in the corner, that love is there. That peace is there. It's completely accessible at all times. And it's more real than the body and the mind. And so I've been living in that space as that love for a couple of years. And I still like to read. And I probably read a little bit every day, but it's not the same kind of seeking energy. It's more like, how do they express, try to express this no thing? And I like to just look at, you know, new ways of talking about it. Mm. Hmm. Fabulous story that is. <laughs> no. That's incredible. Oh boy. Well, you got there in like three seconds, and I've been doing this for decades. I'm still trying to get there, Nikki. <laughs> Man, this was intense. My um my ex, he would say, What are you looking for? What are you what are you seeking? Because he could see it you know, and it was all consuming, all consuming. And I think that everything that I had read was correct, that suffering is necessary. At least it was in this experience. I needed to be back up against the wall to be all in, to really force me into like when everything is falling down, all you want to do is sit at love's feet, at God's feet. Because you know, if you, as soon as you get up, you're going to suffer, it's going to hurt. So it's like I clung to that presence in those times, like between 2017 and really like the top of 2018. And that's when things, it became apparent that it wasn't Nikki doing it, that it looked, it's a play of Nikki coming back to this. 
but this has never been lost and it's always here and it's effortless and it's formless and it's it feels like love and it sounds like silence hmm. that's nice uh but you know uh i as you're saying some of this stuff i start just thinking about my own journey mm -hmm. and what what is central to that presence in in my particular instance i mean so, some of what you're talking about of course ramdas calls the witness yeah and it's yeah, mindfulness thing and unfortunately if it comes from your mind it's it's a kind of nasty little guy that's judging everything uh, if it comes from the center of your spiritual heart um the loving awareness place that ramdas calls it uh it's not anything but unconditional so it's a you know it's a world of difference um the we were talking before about well we both have an affection for rumi Absolutely. So I started thinking of, you know, different. Uh, I have this book that uh, written by Andrew Harvey mm -hmm. called The Way of Passion, A Celebration of Rumi. And it has, it, if you start to go through it, it has things in it that are so relevant to now. Well, of course, of course, of course. Um, yeah. Anyhow, let me, uh, let's talk about a couple of these things because they're, Oh wait! Before we do that, what's the name of the show that you're the podcast? Oh yes, it's called New Growth. New Growth, and it the name actually came from my new? sister. New, as in brand new. New and growth, as in growth, like spiritual growth. But in this case, it has a double meaning because my background is in natural hair, and so black women refer to their new growth, the new hair that's growing uh -huh. from their scalp, as new growth. So it's like a nod to a former self <laughs> and new growth obviously is what we're all doing growing in this space yeah. uh, beyond transcending beyond form that's cool oh and uh and i i mean not to make this a big promo or anything but i do know because nikki's shared with me some of the uh, people that she's going to be talking to uh, that are just, you know, people who are in normal walk of life. I mean, in this case, a couple of them are in the entertainment or writers or entertain or songwriters. Or, yeah. So yeah. they're in the kind of entertainment business, but uh, they, they all are very much doing what Nikki is doing, what I am doing, what I, I'm assuming most of us listening are doing, which is putting one foot in front of the other on this path and moving forward into new growth. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Moment to moment choosing. And these are headlining guests. But like you said, they're all on their inner journey as well. So it's going to be beautiful speaking with them about this, this formless space where their creativity, you know, blooms from and mm, kind of yeah. we can use that too for inspiration as well. Yeah. Uh, here's what Rumi says. Well, actually, this is with uh, this is actually um, Andrews. He has some good summations of 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 this. Really good. Um, he says in every poem, every story, every line of every poem, Rumi is saying to us tenderly or majestically, quietly or railingly or wittily, never, ever recover or even want to from the wound of divine love divine longing mm. so you will come to long with your whole being to participate now in the vast transformation that destiny is demanding of the human race that sounds like about now yes rumi is a madman and he's trying to do nothing less than send the human race mad with love yes that's uh, beautiful and true <laughs> So, um, but in the tradition that I come from, uh, from being, of course, with Ram Dass and uh, Neem Karoli Baba, Maharaji, we call yeah. him, uh, it is central to it, of course, is uh, devotional yoga. It's called bhakti yoga. Mm -hmm. But not, it's a devotion that, um, 
It's kind of very much like what we have been doing with Ramdas until he left, uh, and we continue to do mm-hmm. uh, at retreats and so on. In fact, pretty much everything we do, which has we always have some great Buddhists around. We can't yeah. go mm-hmm. anywhere without them. You see, they they shine a light that is so extraordinarily helpful. Yes, that. It's so uh, we know that Maharaji set this all up. You know, he, we were all going to, you know, insight meditation courses in India, most of us. And he didn't tell us to go. It just sort of happened. And he, he'd say, oh, you go to the, in English, you go, course? You, you do course done it? <laughs> yeah. It, it was like that. It wasn't anything. Mm-hmm. But it was, it's formulated a, a major part of uh, the kind of grounding that we got. Yes that allowed us to be able to go into bhakti open-heartedness in a way that had spiritual discrimination, shall we say. That's beautiful. Yeah, so that's what they really provide. They, this, you know, it's, it's the uh, heart wisdom, so the, that wisdom part is, is really, uh, uh, without it, it's hard to get through the mind stuff. Absolutely. Really difficult without using that, but it's a very, very, you know, the ego can be a great servant, but a shitty master. Yes, yes, yes. So there's that to it. So, yeah, so that, oh, so we, the the longing thing. So, you know, we were around this thing that was like the, you know, there's no term I could put to what that thing in that blanket was but it was like the best ice cream you could ever have in your life <laughs> yes. okay it's the warmest water that you can just let go into it it was like a that it wasn't had it, nothing to do the personality was fun he was having yeah. fun with us and everything but it was it was just the being in it in right. the, in that divine presence so once that happens you're like okay when you're not there you're going shit i got right be there right, right. Because I want, I am, you know, th- those of us that went over there, we were pretty one-pointed. Mm-hmm. And you sound very one-pointed yourself. Yes, yes. And so there was that deep, deep longing to be in that space. Mm-hmm. And he, of course, it was easy to be with uh, this being that's in that space. Right? Exactly. It's a lot easier, let me tell you. But it, it, in a way, it matters not because that space has nothing to do with physicality. So, mm-hmm. uh, so that so when I read this and and I read this divine longing bit, um, divine presence, divine longing, uh, it's it's as it's the realest thing that I ever experienced. Absolutely, same here, and it's yeah. very palpable. Mm. And it was now it is seen as grace, right? As a gift. There were times in that movement that I wished, I'm like, can I just go back? Like looking around at people around me, like, can I just be like them? Like, you know, blissfully unaware of this (laughs) because it was very powerful, very strong. I stopped watching TV, like every activity (laughs) that I was engaged in. Like I used to love to watch cartoons and, you know, just do little things that were mindless. And now, I mean, they were all replaced. All of them are replaced with that one point. And it's like finding, seeking. If I wasn't meditating, I was reading. If I wasn't reading, I was on audible. I was listening. If I was fatigued, I would get fatigued from reading. And, but I would listen. I'd go to YouTube. You know, it was always something related to this. How'd you do this? You were working and taking care of children and marriage and oh my God. No, uh, it was grace again because there was between 2016 and 2018, I was blessed to have a project that was paying me really good money without me having to actively be engaged all the time. And so there were moments when I would feel like you aren't doing shit, like you need to get up and contribute to society. And then when I'd step into that love, I would recognize I am in this moment, the best thing I can do. I forget which teacher it is that even said that maybe Ramana Maharshi, that the greatest gift that I can provide right now is my own awakening. And I could sense that too. Like I can't even speak about this or help until there's an anchor of it here. And Mm. so 
I would remember that. And then I wouldn't feel like a lazy bum because <laughs> I had <laughs> days like my daughter would be at school and I would just be able to sit at home. And I had a beautiful rooftop in Washington, D.C. where I could see the Washington Monument and it was expansive. It was gorgeous. I'd sit up there every day mm. and read, listen, meditate. Um, mm. So, yeah, I was I was blessed to be wow. able to have the time. Mm. That's amazing. So uh, there's a keeping on the longing track. Mm. Uh, there's he, uh, the author here, talks about how uh, poetry, like Rumi's, it demands a real one pointed listening. Right? Mm. This is not something. Oh yeah, I've got uh, whoever on in the background. Yeah. <laughs> no, you have to be young G's. Young Jeezy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he can be in the you background. It's okay. No, right, no problem. Right, right, right. You can put music on in the back. You cannot yeah. put Rumi on in the back. Yeah. But also, he says, you cannot put, and he gives an example, Maria Callas, the great opera singer. Ah. You can't do that. Uh, it, it demands, uh, Rumi is absolutely awake, and awakening has a very fierce edge, the edge of the sword of discrimination. Did I just say that? A sword of ecstasy. It has a fire in it. And you have to consent when you listen to and read Rumi to be sliced by that sword and invaded by that fire. Oh, my God. And he says, um, yeah, Kalis' voice is demanding that you listen because the truths that she is burning her voice away to tell are truths that can save an entire civilization. That's, I love that. Shit. Absolutely. What Callis is doing when she sings is pleading for love against patriarchal madness. Mm. That voice is always there, burning away, begging love to win in a world which has been ruined by a crazy masculine hardness and deadness of heart. What, this book was, by the way, he wrote this in 1993. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Literally. Because he wrote it today. Yeah. 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 Is that nuts? Yeah. Talk about talk about that in your own experience. The the horror of the patriarchal over boss. <laughs> <laughs> You know, for me in the last, I love the part, the imagery about the burning away. And that is what I was going through in the most tumultuous times. Like when I talk about like that 2017 to 2019, 2018 period, ev everything that was not love got burnt up. So, and I knew in the back of my mind during that inner suffering and seeing the outer suffering too, that the only thing that would be left was love. So there was fear there, but I just kept placing my attention on the love. So no matter if it was a person that I was facing up against, and I was, I had terrible business partners. Oh, um, right. Very, uh, they were male. <laughs> and um, <laughs> dealing with that, in addition to what seemed like the anxiety it was causing here, you know, and then remembering that this is, this is more important than what was happening out here, like what this is here. So healing this and recognizing that if I could find and recognize the light in every moment, that only the things that were not built in love would be what was burned away. And that's, that has been the experience. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yes, walking around with that perspective is the entire you know, difference in, in our lives. And, but it may not always be pleasant. And I know you're not f sort of relating the unpleasant. I'm hearing, I hear the, the cut through, but I didn't hear the cutting. If you know what I mean. <laughs> it is very unpleasant. I can remember being in the midst of an argument, whether it was with, um, you know, a business partner or with my own partner and needing to, and recognizing the need to step away. So when I would feel that energy rush up, we all know that energy. I don't know how it manifests there for you, but for me, it starts like in my abdomen and it comes up and there's heat and there's, um, it's very, very uncomfortable. And it comes up too, like before a big speaking engagement, it's the same energy, I just label it differently, right? So that energy would come up and I used to do whatever I could to avoid it, whether it was 
reach for a glass of wine, scroll through my phone, you know, get on the phone, complain about said person or situation. Instead, I could be in the middle of a debate or argument and I would excuse myself, go to the restroom. And I tell the people that I work with all the time to do this too, if you can. And I would sit on the bathroom floor and just allow that energy to be there without labeling it and without needing it to go away. Just being aware of it and at the same time, if possible, being aware of love that's also there, but it's more fine. It's very subtle, you know, um, but beautiful. So noticing that that love was still there, even when that energy was raging. And that is what got me through because that energy would come up even after those situations that seemed to resolve or fall away. I started noticing that energy like uncaused at about the same time every day. I'd feel it and I'm like, oh, you're back like a visitor. Hello, welcome back. And then I'd reach for that love. And then it's, I didn't have to go and remove myself and sit anywhere, you know, to find the love that was also present while that energy was raging. How are you entering in when you say reach for love? What are you actually saying? Like, it's okay, almost so you like notice, you yeah. notice bullshit is going on. You're caught in whatever, exactly. whatever of the defilements, right? Anger yes. in this case. And then what? I have to be aware enough to notice that the anger is there and that it is not me. That it is a visitor. That's step one. Ah, anger's here in the midst of the whatever's going on out here. That's very important because if you can't do that, you can't do the next step, which for me, I've tried to talk about it and I believe it's like a listening. I almost listen. Like I almost even turn my head a little bit. I listen to the silence that is present. Even if I was at a rock concert, I'd be able to hear this loud silence that that rock music is arising and falling back into. So it's almost like I turn and I listen to the silence and a love like rolls in like a fog or joy bubbles up. It just feels like I become aware, like that presence announces itself. And so then I'm aware of that and still some of the energy here. And of course, the situation that the eyes, the human eyes can see. But as I've done this over the years, it's a like initial reaction. I don't even, it's as soon as there is any energy here, I turn and I hear and I hear love, right? So I listen for the frequency of love and then I stay in that. And now that love hasn't grown, but my awareness of it has, I guess. So it's full and it's way more real than the fear that's manifesting or the people out here, even Nikki. This love announces itself so loudly that it's seen as the only power, even when there's seeming worldly powers um, unfolding in front of me. And so it's like a felt faith a felt faith. It's an experience, a God experience. And I remember in like 2018, I wrote in my journal, am I deluding myself? Like, is this real? Cause it's very, very real, very palpable in my experience. And it's grown over time. It's, I became aware of it in 2015. Um, and I knew that it was something because finally my worst nightmare happened. The one that I had been dreading all of my childhood, my grandmother passed mm -hmm. and she waited for me to come to St. Louis, I believe. And we had our moment. She died with me in the room, just the two of us. And I was, I don't know how old at the time, I guess, like, I don't know, like early thirties. And I stood over her as she took her final breaths. And there was grief here, of course, but there was peace like a peace was present. And at the time it was still perceived as like maybe here and maybe a little bit behind. Um, but I knew in that moment, if I can have peace now in this worst moment where I've lost my best friend, seemingly, if there's love here now, there's nothing that can come out here that can shake me, that can make me like seem to have this love eclipse. And so I started practicing it more and more after 2015. And like I said, now it's not that the love is here or that the love is here or that I'm back here and Nikki's here because that's how it felt for a little bit. This was seen as not being here <laughs> either. It's just love. I see my face and I see your face and I see the equipment in here, but I feel love and it's more real than everything. And it doesn't have an object and it doesn't have a form. And it, but it feels beautiful and it's aware of itself and there's an awareness of it. <laughs> wow. You know who you sound like? Mm -mm. Ramdas. Really? Yeah, Ramdas used to sit around and just do everything is love. 
everything. Yeah. <laughs> and and there would be, so there was a, this is a cute story. So there was a bunch of people around and, you know, and Ram Dass said, there isn't anything that I don't love. I love my wheelchair. I love the view from the window. I love the dog. I love whatever. You know, he yes. went on and on. But yes. and then he said, and I, you see that rug? Everybody looked. It's just, he says, it's a dirty rug. Something happened. I love that rug. <laughs> so somebody said, Ram Dass, you're comparing, like you love me? You're comparing and the rug. <laughs> and the dirty, dirty rug? rug? <laughs> and Ram Dass loved that. He laughed. Yes, yes. So the guy, uh, it, he, he, he got a piece of a dirty rug and he framed it and sent it to Ram Dass and put it up on his wall. <laughs> It's in his house still. I love that. I absolutely love that. And it was actually his quotes that helped me in the beginning for that early practice of to treat everyone you meet like God in drag. And so I would remember that and I'd walk down the street and every person, every animal, everyone, I'm like, that's another face of God. That's God in a costume. That's a costume. But then, like what I believe you're saying too right now, it's seen that it's not even that God or Christ is here where I see your form. It's that your form isn't there really, truly, because our forms are all passing. So the more real presence is that love. And so it's not that God is shining out through everyone's eyes. That's one beautiful way to look at everything. And th that still happens here to see that way. But it feels more real to know that there's only this love. It's like you see the world, but you feel the kingdom. That's how I experience it. Mm. And I used Feel to say my mantra was not good humanhood or bad humanhood, Christhood. I would do that like at the airport because I get very, very annoyed at airports. I don't like to wait and I don't like when people push and stuff. And so when I started practicing that and remembering that little mantra, it would like just wipe out humanhood. <laughs> and I'm like, if there's not good or bad humanhood to judge, there's only Christhood, only this love here. There's no reason to think because what is there to think about? If there's only Christ, so there's nothing to think about. You just love about. And then, yeah, there's just joy. The only problem is the um, forgetting that. Yes. Seem yes. to forget that yes. quite a bit, in fact. Often, often. Very, very much. It gets easier. And I always tell people to, um, I would set an alarm on my phone to go off every minute for two hours, like between 2015 and 2018, I had an alarm dinging. My kids would be like, what is that sound? You know, just to kind of remember every minute to shift, to be, to love, you know, to be you did the that. presence. That's yeah, right. not the person. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Rumi, back to Rumi, uh, he, uh, he says, in terms of, uh, well, here's, and which again, I guess I'm sort of delineating the path that I've been on for all these years. But uh, that has been my focus, which is hanging out with these kinds of beings uh, as a real practice, uh, remembering uh, and uh, remembering and a, a kind of training that has no training mm. that just instills this thing, that thing there that I used, I like to call it, mm. my Quebecois thing. Yeah. He says, you have to cling to those who know because only that clinging to the feet of the enlightened ones can give you the slightest chance mm -hmm. of ending the tyranny of the ego. Mm -hmm. Because you'll see holiness again and again being enacted in front of you. See, so those of us that were with this particular being named Karoli Baba, yeah. who said, by the way, there's no a guru has nothing to do with, uh, it's not about the physical. Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. So uh, we all say, you know, because people go, well, you were so, what grace you were looking. And, and we all go, we are the dumbest part of humanity that he let come near him okay that we needed that extra you know here you are your love just glowing love 
with Nikki is glowing love. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and uh, it's it's obviously as as so many people have proven, it is not necessary to to have to be with somebody with a physical body. It is necessary though to have a guru. It is, yeah. and I'm not saying that uh, I just said that totally didactically. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I I believe. And I'll, I'll say, so Ram Dass, too, used to talk about it. Everybody does have a guide a, from deepest part of themselves. There is a something that you can actually name it, a Buddha, yeah. a Christ, a Neem Karoliva, whatever. Uh, and um, the relationship with that entity, however it comes in, in one's life, uh it's really important in its uh, ability to do, to really help with the consistent remembering that's necessary yeah. to remain in, um, as you were saying before, I'm more into the presence of that love than I am of the, whatever the negative situation might be. Awesome. That negative is there. Grief, it could be if someone who died and grief is there. But there's also the acknowledgement of that other place, whatever you. Yeah. There's so many different names of that so other many, place. The right? I am, you know, yeah. the presence, whatever yeah. you want to call yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, whatever. So uh, uh, it's it's a matter of being on like two planes Yes. at the same time. Yeah, have a foot in not, the world and out of the world. Yeah. And but I always, this, I'll go ahead, go ahead. No, no, just that meaning also that it's not that you're you're pushing the grief away by going oh i'm love is here and mm -hmm. i can be in touch with this soul uh my grandmother in your mm -hmm. case mm -hmm. uh it's not a problem you know spiritual bypass is a real thing you know mm -hmm. i know it's a byword today but you know it is something we all need to you know have that's why I love the Buddhists. They are uncompromising. It's, it's good. There's going to be discriminating wisdom in, in all of this. But you can be with that emotion. Yes. And at the same time, you are with the love. It's, Absolutely. You can be doing two things, living on those two planes at the right. same time. So When you're with yeah. the love, you're accepting. You can't even, I guess for me, it's almost, it is the surrender. When you reach for that love, in the midst of the emotional storm, that is letting go. When I let go, love is there. When I'm resisting it, it'd be difficult to find that love, to feel that love. But when I let go and allow that grief or allow that anger and not judge it, all of a sudden, oh, there's the love. Is love here? Heck yeah, it's right yeah. here. It's always been here. So it is a surrendering to it. It is a being with it. It's an, it's yeah. an accepting. Yeah. You want to hear a surrender story? I'll tell you yeah. a surrender story. Yeah. Jesus. Okay. Uh, this is Tibetan Buddhist. So Milarepa. Mm -hmm. Have you heard that name? No. Great, great. One of the greatest uh, saints of Tibetan Buddhism. When India, when, well, I can't go into the history of how in northern India there was this great, you know, tradition that went uh, of of thinking developed in colleges like one was called Nalanda. And then it went into Tibet and mixed with the uh, with the bone tradition and so on. See, even that I don't really know what I'm talking about. But you I do sound know, like you do. You yeah, sound like you I know. Do. You sound I like know. an expert. It's awful. It's just awful. <laughs> but I trust that's your superpower. <laughs> I trust yeah, Robert Thurman. So uh, I'll, I'll he'll straighten me out because we're going to do a retreat with him soon. Okay, so a great, great yogi, the greatest Tibetan yogi. Okay, uh, so and this is around the power of silence and and also involves the um, surrender. What surrender really is. Um, so uh, he's well. So he was in his cave in the mm -hmm. Himalaya. And uh, he, just, he just had his cotton robe, that's it, you know. And one day a robber came, right? And he took everything that he had, his pot, his food, and, and maybe even an old battered Buddha statue or two, right, that was in the cave. And the robber, feeling happy, he was very happy with his morning's haul. He started mm -hmm. to walk down the mountain. After about a quarter of an hour, he heard something behind him. And turning to see a most <laughs> astonishing sight, the bony hermit 
running naked, <laughs> smiling, down the mountain, holding out his robe. The robber looked at Milarepa's eyes, saw that there was nothing he could do that could in any way alter this unconditional love and forgiveness that Milarepa had for him. Wow. Fell at his feet and became one of his greatest disciples. I love that. <laughs> what had been communicated to the robber's heart was some taste of that great love that rises out of silence, that yeah. infinite and universal love that rises out of the silence of the void. Wow. That great silent love in which Milarepa's mind was forever at peace. Okay, is that great or what? Come that on. is amazing. I don't know. I would not be able to run <laughs> with my last item like that. I don't think I'm there. <laughs> no, no. That, what a that, beautiful that's... story. And I love yeah. that. The love rising out of the void. That's how it feels here. That's yeah. exactly how I would try to express it. Yeah, and you know, the thing... The understanding of beings like this is not really possible, but what's so great, the courage to, I mean, he sat up in that, you know, in that cave and what he did, um, it, it's part of this thing. Rumi's calling us to immense bravery. I love this. The only bravery that matters now is not something that only mystics needs. It is the essential form of spiritual action now. Courage like Gandhi, Martin Luther King. Courage that's like this fuels steadily the inexhaustible passion of the Dalai Lama for yeah. peace. Unless we have this courage, unless we have this love, we are not going to be able to awaken the cynical and lost who are destroying the planet or allowing it to be destroyed. They'll just look to us and say, you can be bought. You can be dismayed. You can be scared. We are not going to be bought, dismayed, or scared. We will be standing in the center of divine love, radiating divine love, and we're not going to care even if we are killed because we know death is only a moment that passes. It is going to require a passion for spiritual action of which the world has no knowledge yet if the world is going to be saved. We will need what Rumi has shown us. We will need to really root ourselves in divine passion and divine courage and in adoration. Otherwise, our entire being will tremble in the whirlwinds and tempests that are about to come. This is nuts. You know what? I didn't read that whole thing, okay, wow. until just now. I, I saw, you know, because of the way I see things, I go, oh, that'd be a good thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. I mean, is this all it's about now? That yeah. Yeah. So that's Andrew, everybody. That's Andrew Harvey, uh, The Way of Passion, A Celebration of Rumi. Uh, I'm going to download a, that as soon as yeah, you, we get off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely. powerful. Absolutely. Yeah, mm -hmm. isn't it? Jesus. God. Um, Courage. I like that word, too. Courage is a big thing. And I didn't tell you the Krishnadas's courage story. No. Okay, so should I tell her again, everybody out there? I want to hear it. I don't, yeah, let's hear it. Let's do it. <laughs> it's good to hear these things over and over. Krishnadas tells the same stories him. every kirtan he does, okay? <laughs> so driving, he said, drives you out of your mind? What about me? I got to listen every night. Um, <laughs> But uh, and he was in Mumbai and, uh, and he found Neem Karoli Baba in a and he's staying in a hotel and, and Maharaji Neem Karoli Baba used to come to the hotel with his Indian devotee and just hang in the in the room and you know be a couple of people really literally probably only him and somebody else I think if I can't even imagine that kind of grace anyhow so at one point Maharaji looks at him and he points his finger and he goes courage is a very important thing. Maybe not important, I can't remember what exact yeah. word. And the Indian devotee next to him said, who, you know, this is Maharaji, this is Guru Kripa, the grace of the Guru is this path. This has nothing to do with doing anything or having anything or, you know. And Maharaji turned back to Krishnas and went, courage is very important. 
and Krishnas has had that his whole life. So that whenever you know we're talking about the remembering, and when I asked you, how are you re remembering, and yes. you're just turning into yes. the silence, you know, yes. which is beautiful. Uh, that that's his thing, right? He just yeah. that whole thing just gets prompted, and he becomes present to a lot. Same as same thing, just different strokes for different folks. Yeah, absolutely. Okay? Yeah, so courage is, you know. Wow. I don't know why that word stuck out from what you read, but that's a power. Thank you for sharing that story. Yeah, pleasure. Um, God, there's so much in this book. I can't even tell you. When you were speaking earlier about sitting at the feet of the guru mm. or just remembering, whenever I'm working with... Um, like my coaching clients, I tell them if they need to personify that love, they should. You know, in the beginning, like I said, in 2015, when I first started practicing the presence of love of God, my grandma, right when she passed, I personified it, knowing that I was consciously personifying something that is not a person. But I said, if my grandma was here, she would have my, she'd have my hand and she wouldn't let it go. And I wouldn't let her hand go. So I used that, like I wouldn't let her hand go holding on to that presence nonstop. And I find that that helps a lot of people to be able to feel that presence as their dad or their passed on grandma and to just stay with it, to stay with it like nothing else matters because it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Wow. Do you know who Nizar Gardata is? Have yes, you heard that course. name? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maharaj? Yeah. Yeah. I got several books back here. His uh -huh. final talks too, which threw me. I'm still trying to get there with those final talks. Yeah, uh, well, it's it can be pretty heavy, heady, yeah, yeah stuff. Yeah. But occasionally, shit's just like shines through. That's so oh yeah, present. I mean, you know, obviously, I, it's a, a, not particularly my path. You know, Gyan Yoga, which it is, non-duality, and all that. Uh, it's, it's not even, he's more than that, actually. He, mm -hmm. He's more than that. But he says, uh, yeah, we, oh Christ, we're an hour. We already were into this, man. What time? We're, How long has it been? It's been an hour. No way. Right. Isn't that something? <laughs> when you're having fun. Yeah, right. So here's something from him that I thought it's a good closer, too. Mm -hmm. um, he's describing what it means to live in absolute consciousness. Okay. He says, I'm now 74 years old, and yet I feel that I am an infant. I feel clearly that in spite of all the changes, I'm a child. My guru tells me that the child which is you, even now, is your real self. Go back to that state of pure being where the quote-unquote I am is still in its purity before it was contaminated with this yeah. quote-unquote this I am or that I am. Your burden is of false self-identifications. Abandon them all. My guru told me, trust me. I tell you, you are divine. Take it as the absolute truth. Your joy is divine. Your suffering is divine too. All comes from God. Remember it always. You are God. Your will alone is done. I did believe him and soon realized how wonderfully true and accurate were his words. I did not condition my mind by thinking, I am God, I am wonderful, I am beyond. I simple, simply followed his instruction, which was to focus the mind on pure being. I am, and God is one, and to stay in it, I used to sit for hours with nothing but the I am in my mind. Mm. Soon peace and joy and a deep, all-embracing love became my normal state. That is one of my absolute favorite quotes of his. I've reread that one. As soon as you started speaking, I'm like, uh, of course. <laughs> Only of course. peace remained in unfathomable silence. Wow. Powerful and true. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I absolutely love his pointings. Very clear. And that was one of the earliest teachers that I turned to as well. Oh. Ramana Maharshi, Nisargadatta Maharaj, Ram Das. That was, if I would have just stayed there and not went, you know, out into all the little branches, I probably would have rested in this much earlier. But mm. my mind needed to go down yeah. every path first. Yeah, it's all cool. That's so I mean, pure. I mean, that's it. That's all you need. Like, if you can listen to what's in that quote, 
and yep. actually begin to practice. That's all you need. And we end this with saying none of this happens without practice. I mean, except if you're Ramana Maharshi, maybe. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but uh, uh, no, I mean, to, to say that, even say it that way is ridiculous, of course. Mm -hmm. The reality is that let's just say spending time with the presence really affords us to be able to shift over to this new perspective and have that be more of the perspective on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. So it does take doing some practice, taking initiative and making mm -hmm. offering. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't mean running down the hill with your, <laughs> your robe out necessarily right? <laughs> going to the Robert, take it, man, take it all. But it's, it's you know, right. it's, and why not hang out with that? Hang out with Milarepa, right? Absolutely. Let's just hang out with Milarepa. Oh, so great. Thanks for being here, Nikki. And, Thank you so uh, much for having me. It's been awesome. Yeah, no, it's been really great. And uh, everybody, uh, Nikki's show will be podcast, rather. Mm -hmm. uh, you will um, probably be able to access it around now once you listen to this podcast, because that's the way we've arranged it. Yes, and, you know, so, uh, yeah, and uh, that'll be on, so what is, again, podcast name? New Growth, and New it's growth. all about divine love, or as Ram Das calls it, loving awareness. That's the whole point, and talking to these headlining guests about tapping into this divine love and how they create from that space. Hmm, beautiful. All right, so, yeah. Um, just go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and you'll find Nikki there. And uh, and then go to iTunes and subscribe. That's important. That helps. Uh, that'll help Nikki in the show. And, you know, tell your friends and uh, get up on social media and share because it'll all be up there. That'll be great because it's yeah. going to be fun, fun, fun. Thanks again, Nikki. Everybody, Thanks. we'll see you next time on Mind Rolling.